Welcome to the Gospel Centered Pro Life Podcast, a podcast designed to equip, encourage, and challenge you in pro life ministry and always with a focus on the gospel. Stay tuned. I felt your passion, touched your heart. Use me, Lord, use me, Lord. Well, welcome back to the Gospel Centered Pro Life Podcast. Appreciate you guys joining us. And as always, we'd appreciate if you guys would share this podcast episode with others who might be blessed, people that you know that are serving maybe alongside of you on the sidewalk or, um, Maybe you have connections with people on social media that also do sidewalk ministry or that are thinking about doing sidewalk ministry. We think this podcast would be a blessing to them, and we hope that this episode will be a blessing to anybody who's listening. And we would like to uh, just be an encouragement. That's that's the goal of these things. We have some experiences. We've been involved in sidewalk ministry for a good while. And uh, I think we have something we can teach you guys, maybe learning from our mistakes. And so you guys don't have to make your own mistakes. You can let us make the mistakes for you. Uh, But we hope to encourage you. And we hope this episode where we're going to be focusing on the subject of boldness will um, just endue you with boldness and with courage. So uh, so we're going to jump into it pretty quick. Right. Yeah. I mean, some, some counselors, I, I train counselors. That's what I do. I train the sidewalk counselors. Some of them come right from the beginning, just bold. Yeah. You can tell you, you, you got to hold them back almost from, from speaking, um, with authority and boldness. And then some are very, very timid and, and will change over time. And then some never seem to quite get that. Yeah. Um, but I do believe it can be developed. And as in all things, the best way to develop any quality or characteristic that's going to be necessary for ministry is through the Bible. Figure it yeah. out. What does the Bible tell us? How to, how to, because it, interestingly enough, the Bible gives great, um, guidance in how to be bold yeah. and how to develop that quality of boldness. Yeah. 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 And I think just to preface this above and beyond anything, our boldness comes through God's work in us. Mm-hmm. And there is, uh, I mean, what we definitely do not want to embrace and what we definitely on this podcast do not want to push and encourage people in is pride. And like this idea yeah. of, of, I mean, let's say self-confidence. We should be confident in ourselves as far as what God has done in us and what God is able to do through us. But self-reliance, we, we, we want to just, I mean, abhor self-reliance. Self-reliance is not a Christian quality. We're supposed to rely on the Lord and his work through us for sure. And so um, we're not talking about pride. We're not talking about you uh, doing everything in your strength. As a matter of fact, that's kind of where our boldness comes from is doing things in the strength of the Lord. But we are talking about a confidence, a confidence. I mean, I think like David. That's that's probably where my mind always goes when I think of boldness and confidence and just kind of that balance between humility and confidence and which the opposite of humility would be pride. Right. And then self-confidence. You see David, the young shepherd boy with a, a, a total boldness and confidence in that whole 
showdown with Goliath, right? And even before that, as he's talking to the, you know, to the king and he's talking to the other uh, army folks that are supposed to be doing something about this Goliath, about this giant. And he really speaks in some what you might perceive to be prideful ways. But you'll notice his language is not one of like self-reliance and self-confidence, but more of what the Lord, like the Lord delivered the lion and the bear into my hands. And he's going to deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into my hands. So he's he's really this is he's putting the ball in the Lord's court, so to speak. And he knows he has confidence in what the Lord has done, knowing that God is the same and knowing what the Lord is going to do uh, to this uncircumcised Philistine. So I think about David. And that real balance um, between humility and confidence and, you know, as it translates into really a boldness that this young man shows up on a battlefield with a sling and uh, ultimately takes the sword of that Goliath, that, that giant and lops his head off with his own sword. That's that's yeah, that's a story of boldness in action. And then there's a story that you pointed me to when we were talking about this uh, podcast. That is in Acts 4. Yeah. And I had, I've certainly been familiar and read Acts 4 many times, but I had never looked at it in, you know, kind of broken it apart, looking for what gave Peter and John their boldness. And the fact that boldness is discussed um, throughout this this chapter of, of Acts and... It was really an interesting exercise to go through, and I just broke it apart step by step because I think it is a beautiful um, validation of what you just said, how we find our our boldness in, in the Lord. But there were some very specific things that are pointed out in that chapter that were true of John and Peter that gave them the boldness that I think just are directly applicable to yeah. if we're volunteering and we desire that boldness because that, that boldness is, is an important equipping work of God for a yeah. ministry to go uh, like ours, a sidewalk ministry yeah. to, to go forth. Yeah. So, I mean, look at the, look at, did, did you have a point you want to make before I, well, you know, I would say the opposite of boldness would would be timidity. And yeah. we know that famous passage of Scripture where Paul tells Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love and a sound mind. And that word fear um, could actually be translated timidity. God has not given us a spirit of timidity. Like we shouldn't be timid. Now, there's meekness. And we know Jesus mm-hmm. is meek, right? He says, learn mm-hmm. from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, right? But Jesus was not timid. And so there's these words that we use like timid and meek that, that kind of could mean the same thing in some sense, but they don't mean the same thing. And it really comes from a confidence and a reliance on the Lord. God has not given us a spirit of timidity. So when we're on the sidewalk in particular, we don't need to be timid. We need to be meek. We need to be humble for sure. But we don't need to be timid. And listen, you guys that are on the sidewalk, you have to remember that, of course, we're dealing with life and death. We're dealing with people that are eternally lost, like they're separated from God through their sin. Right. Um, and what you have in you as far as Christ in you, the hope of glory is what they need. And so, guys, you what you have to say is important. 
right? You have no reason to be timid. What you have to communicate to these women, to these men, to the abortion workers, it's vitally important, right? It's like you've got the cure to the worst sickness that that has ever come across humanity, right? You've got the cure to it, and so you need to be bold in in really conveying the truth of, of that cure, who is Jesus Christ. So you don't need to be self-reliant. We're not talking about self-confidence, but we're talking about you've got truth that people need, and you need to be confident that that truth is 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 what God wants them to have. And, you know, don't be timid. Right. And 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 so to validate that um, scripturally, Acts 4, 8. So it's it's right at the beginning, you know, yeah. um, kind of maybe set the stage for what's happening in in Acts 4. So Peter and John have they've just healed a man yeah. um, who is crippled from birth. It's a miracle, clearly a miracle. And the people are just amazed. And they're listening to Peter and John, who are then boldly proclaiming the truth of Jesus' resurrection. And the religious leaders and a palace guard are watching this, and they're seeing these throngs of people coming to listen to John and Paul, and they are uh, Peter and John, and they don't like that at all. Yeah. And so they actually arrest them. Um, and, um, and then they, uh, they arrest them and, and, and then they bring them to trial in, in front of the people and tell them that they will let them go, but that they must be silent. They can no longer speak the name of Jesus. And so that's kind of the backdrop of, of what is happening in Acts 4. And right away in Acts 4, 8, here's the first clue, I think, in why we should have an attitude of boldness or maybe how we have an attitude of boldness. Yeah. So that verse says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. And then he goes on. But the key, the key phrase there, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that goes back to what you first said, Daniel, that it's not of us. It is not of us. The, any act of boldness, any words of boldness proceed out of a heart that is filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I think as a believer, well, there there are things you can do to be certain that you are walking in the Spirit. And we've said them many, many times, be in the word, be in church and, um, uh, and be in prayer. Yeah. And so kind of how I would characterize this first section of boldness, where we see Peter and John speaking filled with the Holy Spirit, they abided in Jesus and listen to Acts 4, 13. Because I think that that really points that out um, very explicitly. It says, now as they observed, so the, the rulers the, uh, and the guards, and as they're, as they're watching John and Peter speak, they said, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John, <clears throat> um, they understood, they understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed. And here's the key point. They began to recognize them as having been 
with Jesus. Yeah. That's key. Yeah. When we abide in the Lord, when we abide in Jesus, in, in their case, they were directly with him. We're not in the same way, I guess, physically with him, but we are in a very real sense with him because when we've submitted our lives to him, the Holy Spirit enters us. Yeah. And when we spend time with him in prayer, in, um, in fellowship with other believers, in the, especially in, in the word, we're abiding with Jesus. And so significantly did Peter and John abide in Jesus that these unbelievers knew that they spoke with authority and confidence. Yeah. And they point out two things that don't give authority or that they perceived from a worldly point of view does give authority, but they knew that wasn't true of them. Education, they, they were uneducated and untrained. They were not trained speakers. Yeah. So I think, again, that goes back to your original point that it's not of them or their skills or their talents, but it's of they were with Jesus. Yeah. They had been with Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just the word is confidence. The word confidence is used in there. Now they observe the confidence of Peter and John. Again, it was not a self-confidence, but it was a confidence in their abiding in Christ. Now, the Pharisees, of course, wouldn't have, you know, they wouldn't really have articulated in that way. They're maybe thinking along the terms of, you know, Jesus was this. I mean, they they viewed him as a great teacher. He obviously had a big following. Right. And they wondered, like, how does he know all the stuff that he knows? But they they acknowledged that Jesus knew a lot of stuff. So their thoughts are not that like in a spiritual sense that somehow Jesus is working through them, but more in a practical sense is Jesus taught them a bunch of stuff, <laughs> you know. But, of course, we yeah. realize that this is Jesus actually working through them. And we realize that this having been with Jesus is more than just Jesus taught them a bunch of stuff, but actually Jesus discipled them in how to walk with God. And that's really right. the key, right? They're walking with God. Right. One of the phrases yeah. that we often use and that I often use as I'm encouraging people that are new to this ministry and you know, that are, have been in this ministry for a long time is that you can't give what you don't have. And the people that we encounter at the abortion centers, they don't have Jesus, right? They don't know him. They don't have a relationship with him. If they do in some measure, they've obviously walked away from that, right? They've turned away from that mm -hmm. relationship and they need to be brought back in the right relationship with Jesus, what they need is an encounter with Jesus. What they need is um, a confrontation with the truth of who he is. Right. And we have him in us. Right. He's he says, I will be with you and I will be in you by his Holy Spirit. Right. And so we have what they need. That's why we can be confident again, not in ourselves, not that we have all of the answers because we don't. Right. We don't got it all figured out. We can't give them every resource to meet every need. But spiritually speaking, if we have the spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead living in us, and according to the Bible, we do, then we have ultimately and above and beyond anything else, we have what they need spiritually. They need Jesus. And so we need to be, like it says in this passage, those who have been with Jesus. We need to right. be constantly in prayer. We need to be cultivating intimacy with Jesus ourselves. And uh, we need to be in the word, constantly in the word, seeing what the Bible says about certain things and the answers that we give as far as, you know, whatever the 
issue might be ultimately need to come from the word of God. And of course there's you know, practical stuff. There's resources. You guys know the three talking points, right? Um, but if we do all the practical stuff and give all the practical reasons why a woman shouldn't have an abortion, you know, through resources and through fetal development or whatever, and we leave out this fact that they need Jesus, then we're leaving out the most important thing. And so we've got to be with him. And I'm telling you, as you walk with Jesus, as you're in prayer before you go out to the sidewalk and you need to be in prayer before you go out to the sidewalk, um, God will give you things to say in the moment. God will help you to know because we don't always know how to respond. And that's why I've said so often on this podcast, if I could give you one key to being effective on the sidewalk, it'd be walk with Jesus. <laughs> Do what these disciples that's, did. Right. That's Spend right. Time with Jesus. That's right. And um, that flows into the the second um, thing that kind of progresses in that book of Acts about they knew that their authority was Jesus, not men. And so the leaders are kind of flummoxed. They don't know what are we going to do about yeah. about these these people that we can't control. And they've got all these followers and they're saying all this crazy stuff that's turning them away from us and, and our right. beliefs. Um, so they they're going to release them because they really can't hold them. They had not committed a crime. But but, you know, they tell them you must not speak or teach in in the name of Jesus. And I that to me is like how many times have we heard that on the sidewalk in fact we did a podcast about that the people turning around and saying shut up stop yeah. talking to me you're making me feel bad don't talk about god and we'll hear it all the time i don't even believe in god stop yeah. talking about jesus but look at peter and john's response because it was a similar thing that they were told from the leaders we'll let you go but stop talking about Jesus. Yeah. Here, here's what Acts 4.19 says. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. Yeah. So they're saying, we follow God. We're going to yeah. heed God, not men. They understood what the proper authority that they needed to submit to was. And we, of course, are under that same authority. Yeah. We are submitting to the Lord. And he is clear, which we have talked about so many times, that we are called to speak for those babies. Yeah, absolutely. We are to rescue those being led away to death, and we are to speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. So if we're being told, be silent, we, we can't. Because that would be heeding men rather than God when God yeah. has told us that we are to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you kind of touched on it from kind of like the individuals going into the abortion center telling us to shut up and not to talk or whatever. And, of course, yeah. pro-aborts telling us to shut up and not talk. And I won't go on a rabbit trail with this, but certainly I think we realize more and more in this day and age that the, gov the government coming in city governments, state governments or whatever, trying to pass laws and trying to make it illegal for us to be on the sidewalk, things like that is something we need to uh, consider. I mean, we've dealt with that, with the whole coronavirus back in the you know, early part of 2020, when they basically told us we couldn't be out on the sidewalk or we couldn't be out in front of the abortion centers praying. And 
of course, we we defied that because we knew mm-hmm. that we have a mandate to speak for those that can't speak for themselves. And if they're letting the abortion center be open um, and kill babies, then we need to be there. If what they do inside of that abortion center is considered essential, then certainly what we do and what we're called to is essential. Right. And yeah. we said that and we t- made that stance, took that stance with confidence and really with this attitude. You state of North Carolina, because that's who we were dealing with at the time, or city of Charlotte. You you judge yourselves whether it's right that we obey you rather than God. We're going to obey God, basically. Yeah. And for a new counselor, I think most of the time, I I think where someone's struggling with boldness is they're they're new. Oftentimes they're new and they're young or combination of the both. But um, what I would advise that is something you can do is know the scripture, scour the scripture, find the biblical commands that support you being out there on the sidewalk. Because if you know it is your authority, Jesus is saying you need to be there. Now, he's not going to say the sidewalks of abortion centers, but he's going to be clear that we're to speak for those who can't speak and to protect the vulnerable and um, hold back those being led away to death. So the principles are certainly there. And if you know that, you know what scripture says, you can be more confident in then standing firm for what God has called you to do. On the other hand, if you don't, if you don't know what scripture says, you're probably not going to be real confident or you're going to easily lose your confidence and believe what the world is telling you. Yeah, absolutely. And if, if our desire and our calling to be on the sidewalk at the abortion centers comes from anything other than the word of God, it's a shaky foundation. You know, we've talked about this before, the motivations of the heart. If you're, if you're motivated by, you know, a political persuasion and that's why you're on the sidewalk, you're going to be shaken. You have to be able, and you know, if, if we just dealt with something here in California recently, there was a law that was passed by governor, governor Newsom uh, here. And it looked like initially there was some concerns that, you couldn't hand out brochures within a hundred feet of the entrance of an abortion center. Now it's not mm. actually what the language was, but it could, could have been construed in some people and just reading it in a cursory way. It looked like it could have been construed to, to say that, um, thank God it's not. And it doesn't really affect what we're doing, but it is, I was telling our people here locally, any of these laws that they pass that have anything to do with, you know, being at the abortion center, it really had to do with filming people and taking pictures of people that are going in, um, like taking pictures of abortion patients and posting those online or threatening to post those online and expose people for having abortions and stuff. We don't do that. It's not something we do. It's not something we see to be what God has called us to do. Um, and so it's not a concern for us. But what I'm saying is as they pass more and more of these, like really freedom of speech, laws and things like that. It, it, these are incremental steps from the pro-abortion side because ultimately they want us off the sidewalk. They don't want us out there. Yeah. They wanted to be like, I think in Canada, they've got some laws where you can't be within a hundred feet of an abortion center in Australia. I know we've got some connections with folks there. I think you have to be, I don't even know, 300 meters away from an abortion center. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be you know, quote protesting, there's going to be a point, I believe, unless God brings us, uh, sends us revival in this nation, where we're going to be told it's illegal to be out there on the sidewalk. 
And again, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but we need to have boldness and confidence because if our confidence is just in, you know, we've called ourselves into this ministry and we don't really have a solid foundation of the word of God, like the disciples did here, they had a solid foundation of what Jesus had told them so they could with confidence defy the governing authorities because they had someone's word who spoke more authoritatively than their word. Like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, that Sanhedrin council, they had authority for sure. But the disciples knew that the authority they were under was higher than the authority of these people. And we need to know what we're doing. And I think this is maybe a key to this thing, to boldness, really, is to know that we're operating under an authority that's higher than any other authority. Right. Right, We're operating under an authority, the authority of Jesus Christ, that's higher than government authorities, um, that's higher than Planned Parenthood or the abortion center, what their authority is. And, uh, of course, the authority of any other entity. Right. And so that's really, I think, where we get our boldness from is that we know with confidence whose authority we're operating under. I go back to David um, as he was a shepherd boy. (laughs) He knew whose authority he was operating under. Right. He was operating under the authority of the living God, and he knew he would have victory because of that. Yes. So the disciples not only knew who was their authority, they knew scripture and and they believed it and they knew that it pointed to Jesus. Yeah. But they also had a community of believers. And I think that's one of the next key points that's that comes through in Acts 4 of why they were so bold. They'd just been arrested. The jail was not a pleasant place back in those days. They didn't have no. televisions and, uh, you know, and, and gourmet meals or, or windows with the sun streaming through. So right after their release, you know what they did? And I, and I guess I never really noticed this. They they went to their companions. The, um, the verse tells us... Um, and they had a prayer meeting, basically. They did, but but don't get ahead of me in a prayer because okay. that's actually different. We are going to talk about that, but that's different. But let me let me read the the verse first. It's in Acts four twenty three. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the, that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So I think this is a very very important point. Um. Jesus always sends us out at least in groups of two for any kind of ministry, right? Well, there's all kinds of reasons for that. But one reason is when we're going through trials or any kind of persecution, when you're all alone, it's a whole lot harder to endure. Absolutely. But if you have companions, people you can go to, you can, you can tell them what happened. You can be encouraged and, um, and edified and held up by them, it it makes it easier to stand firm having yeah. that group supporting you. So a supportive community is so critical. And you can build that, you know, applying that to sidewalk ministry. We do it with we have a, a personal Facebook group for our uh, community yeah. of, of volunteers. We have a group email where we contact them. We have ongoing group training. Um, we we do get togethers. And then we've got the actual team structure for each day where there's a team lead that's staying in touch with every member so that there is always a community that we can go to to be maybe to complain a little sometimes 
and to talk about what we've been through, where we know we're going to be with people who understand and who who will support us. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say we have technology in this day and age that lets us do things that these folks couldn't do. Yeah. They went because, you know, that's what they had at their disposal to gather together in, like I said, a prayer meeting. Yeah. We've got social media. And though Facebook may be a horrible thing, in a lot of ways it is, and social media can be a horrible distraction, some of the things that we've found, one of the really, uh, I think, important um, aspects of social media for us is that connection that we have. We have a secret group, like you mentioned, that is just in Charlotte and each of our cities have this or are forming this. There's some kind of way that only people that are on the sidewalk can really converse with each other. And it kind of, you know, it's, it's exclusive, right? And it's Mm -hmm. exclusive on purpose because Mm -hmm. that context on the sidewalk is so unique. And you could say some things in a public setting that people just wouldn't understand. Like they just, they're, they're not picking up what you're laying down. But you say it into a group of people that are ministering on the sidewalks and like they know exactly what you're talking about. And there's yeah. a certain encouragement that can come. Right. There's a certain way that we can encourage each other that maybe wouldn't be encouraging for other people in other ministerial settings. Right. And so that secret Facebook group, just seeing on a regular basis what God is doing. So just so you guys know how we structure our teams, you know, we've got our sidewalk teams um at the Latrobe Abortion Center in particular, because they're open six days a week. We have a Monday team, a Tuesday team, Wednesday team, so forth and so on. Then we have a, as we're building this, so you guys pray for us on this, we want to build afternoon teams. So we'll have a Monday morning team and a Monday afternoon team. Each of those teams will have a team lead. And so that person has some responsibilities and all that stuff. Um, But that team, they converse with each other. They encourage each other for the stuff that happens on Monday. Right. The Tuesday team, there's some unique things that happen on Tuesdays. And so they they encourage each other. They're intentional. I think they have like text groups or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And then we've got that group where all of the people that volunteer, the team leads and all the people that volunteer can just talk. But the, the Monday team will share um, on Monday when they're done with ministry, just a quick little summary of what happened out there. And that's a way for, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and the other teams to see what God's doing on Monday. It's just a way to build that camaraderie. It's a way to share our burdens. You know, maybe the Tuesday team experienced some kind of, I don't know, explosive situation with one of the pro aborts or some like something like that. I think a couple of weeks right. ago, there was a situation with one of the police officers who's kind of a knucklehead that was causing some problems. And, and one of the teams put some videos out there. We're able to kind of talk around that, encourage each other, offer some advice and things like that. And that's really, it speaks to that community of believers. Now, I will say, above and beyond anything, you need to be in in church. You need to be in a community of believers within a local church A local church, sure. You need to be in that. No doubt about it. You should be. I think if, especially if it's a huge church, you probably need to have a small group within that church or something. People that you can really connect with, you know. Like, as they say, do life with. Right. We need to have people that we can commune with on that uh, on that level. Um, Beyond that, though, if you're doing sidewalk ministry, you need to have some way to communicate on a regular basis with people that are also doing sidewalk ministry. Because, again, there's some particular things that some encouragements that can come from people that know that setting, that know that ministry that other people just can't give to you. Some challenges that you face, questions that you ask that other people that are not involved in this ministry, really 
just don't know anything about. So that community yeah. of believers is really important. It is really important, and they make that clear in Acts 4, but I think that it is doubly important when you're in any kind of ministry where you're going to face persecution. And this is a ministry of persecution, constant persecution. You're going to be taunted, threatened, um, terrible language, things thrown at you, cars swerving to hit you, whatever. It's daily. It's regular. Um, You are. We we call it the ministry of rejection, right? (laughs) Even if people aren't throwing things at you, you're angry with (laughs) it. Now, that doesn't happen all the time that people throw things at you, but it it can happen from from time to time. But one of the most potentially discouraging things is when people just plain ignore you, right? That's the ministry of rejection. You're being rejected. Um, And so that that can be discouraging as well, which, again, we all experience that if you're on the sidewalk and you can encourage each other uh, in light of that. That's right. So um, so. It is a ministry of persecution, and when when there is persecution, people who are being similarly persecuted are the ones you're going to want to go to, that community of people who are going to understand. But now you can talk about what you were going to talk about. They also prayed. It became a prayer session. I'll I'll read the verse, and then you can talk about that, because it's also key, a key element of boldness. Um, And I don't think I've ever seen a verse that points that out more clearly than this one. Acts 4.31. So it said, and when they had prayed, so they meet together, they gather, they basically complain, they tell them what happened when they were arrested and what they were told. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, a key on back to our original question, how do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, apparently prayer plays a big part in that. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak the word of God with boldness. So isn't that interesting? It was persecution, gathering with the community of believers, and then prayer. And the result, they were able to speak the word of God with boldness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, ultimately, it's calling on the Lord, right? When you experience friction, rejection, persecution out there on the sidewalk, whatever it might be, um, you need to be individually, certainly, lifting up your prayer to the Lord, saying, God, you know, like they did in this in, in this particular passage. They're like, Lord, you see their threats and, and all of this, and they kind of lay it out. And then, yeah. of course, the Lord shows up. So you need to be doing that individually, certainly. But also have some times of corporate prayer together. And I would say, again, you know, it's not always easy to do that. I'm trying to do that here in Southern California as we're, we're meeting together um, on Sunday evenings, just kind of opening up our home here and just inviting everybody to come who's a part of Love Life here in Southern California. And let's just have a time to worship and pray together. And that's that's the point here is I want yeah. I want us to be praying for each other. I want us to be encouraging each other. Um, but maybe you don't have that where you're at. Maybe it's just you serving on the sidewalk and there aren't a lot of other folks around you to be able to call a prayer meeting like that. Ask your pastor, put it before mm-hmm. your pastor and say, hey, would would you be willing to uh, encourage the church? Maybe put it in the bulletin or whatever to be praying for the ministry and just get folks praying for you. And God's going to God's going to move. God's going to give you boldness. Maybe he'll through that prayer and that request for prayer in your congregation, maybe your small group that you meet with on a regular basis. They're not maybe involved on the sidewalk or whatever. You're praying that they would. But put this out to them. Put this out, your your struggles, your um, the stuff you're facing. 
and just have them pray over you, lay hands on you and pray over you. And you'd be surprised at how God fills you with, with boldness for yeah. this battle. Yeah. And then I think also uh, reframing the idea of persecution as being a bad thing. It's actually, yeah. in many ways, a very good thing. You're not going to be persecuted if you're of no threat to Satan yeah. specifically. If you're not a threat, he'll let you go your merry way. Yeah. So if not only are you being persecuted because you are a threat to what Satan is trying to make happen, the death of a baby and the destruction of these uh, people's souls, um, but... Uh, Persecution can also lead you to be ultimately strengthened as you go to that community of believers, as you engage in prayer, as you go back to Scripture to help shore you up. Yeah. You're ultimately bolder and strengthened in your faith. And so persecution is in in many ways kind of a almost a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not fun. It's not no. fun to go through. No. No. But, I, mean, I was talking to a, a lady here in California who's experiencing some actually some some rejection in her family for mm -hmm. her stand and for her being involved even on the sidewalk and i was just encouraging her you know when you when you surrendered your life to jesus you made a commitment to him lord i will serve you all the days of my life and he made a commitment to you and his commitment to you was not just to take you to heaven that's sort of a byproduct god's commitment to you when you became a christian was to make you more like jesus and you are never more like jesus um, than when you are being rejected. You look at the ministry of Jesus. Now, certainly he walked in victory. He walked in, in intimacy with the father. So that those things, that's, that's being like Jesus, but also he was rejected and misunderstood. And if you're going to be like Jesus and God's going to grow you to be more and more like his son, then you're going to experience rejection and it's a way for you to grow. Now your reaction to that rejection is what really determines whether or not you grow, right? If you That's just true. complain and you just withdraw, because that is the temptation when we're rejected uh, on the sidewalk, you know, we could, our temptation is, well, I'm not going back out there. Those people don't want That's me out right. there. The, uh, yeah. the people are obstinate. They're not listening. So I'm just not going back out there. Well, if God called you to there, he didn't change his mind. So you need to be faithful and take that rejection before the Lord, bring it before other believers that can be praying for you. And uh, and let God teach you to be more like Jesus through it. Yeah. Now, the the Acts for believers had something that uh, appears to have been maybe even different than than what we have now. But they seem to be very unified. And I think that that is a key point in that community of believers being as strong as they can possibly be in supporting individuals that are in ministry and supporting each other and in building and growing the church is being unified. And, um, and so I'll read you the, the passage, the, the couple of verses that, that talk about that. And maybe we can talk about how, why they were so unified and how that was useful and maybe how we as, as the church can work more towards unity. But in Acts 4, 32 to 33, it says, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything, anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. I do not think this is a treatise on communism, but I do, it, it <laughs> do think it is. It is absolutely not. 
I do think it is talking I've about. I've heard that before. Having, I've heard pro-birth tell too. me that this so is Jesus teaching com- oh, This is I disciples there. Um, <laughs> stepping into communism. And with great power, the apostles, it comes after, by the way, talking about this unity, notice the next phrase, and with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. So there was something very important about that unity of the believers, that they were of one heart and one soul, and they recognized that everything they had basically didn't belong to them. Yeah. It, it belonged to the Lord. It was all yeah. from the Lord, and it was all to be given back to the Lord. So that that unity, when um, when we are one in Christ, you know, you've heard there's so many uh, kind of slogans, united we stand, divided we fall, um, a house divided against itself will not stand. Those are also biblical yeah. verses. Yeah. But it, it, there's so many verses that talk about unity of the body. And yeah. That's where we find a community that is most going to be able to stand around us and give us boldness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I know that we're speaking to people who are in cities, who are in cities where love life is, and there is a group that's there with you, people that are serving alongside you. It may be a small group. It may be a bigger group. But then also we're speaking to people who may be just starting pro-life ministry who may be not a part of love life for whatever reason. And, uh, they're just starting and maybe you're by yourself. And so it's hard to kind of imagine we're talking about unity. We're talking about, um, the body of Christ, this community of believers working together. And you're not seeing that, um, as far as pro-life ministry is concerned. And so I want to speak to that real quick and just encourage you that, yes, you may not have a team yet that can share these burdens, But that's why you need to be a part of a local church, because you can still share your burdens, even though there is a unique uh, aspect to this ministry. It's not so unique that other people, other believers in Jesus can't relate to it. You need to be in close fellowship with other believers and get encouragement from other believers. Um, And you'd be surprised again, as, as you put these prayer requests out to people and you have people praying for you. You know, I know, um, I think Therese, who's our missionary in Washington, she's got a small team there, but she also has a team of people praying for her. So even mm-hmm. though they're not on the sidewalk, she asks people within her church and within, in other congregations, can you be praying while we're out there? And that is kind of helping build that unity and that camaraderie, even though they can't be out there on the sidewalk. She's got people behind her that are praying and that, that unity is there. And that's powerful. I actually did that myself as I was here in California. We're in kind of a little uncommon scenario for our family. We're not used to being out here on the left coast, you know, and there's some challenges and stuff. And certainly anytime we step out and obey God, there's challenges. And so I reached out to some brothers that I know that I trust and uh, that I know will be serious about praying for me and assembled myself a prayer team. Now, these are brothers that are not necessarily involved in this type of ministry. As a matter of fact, I don't think any of them are involved in this type of ministry, but they're involved in ministry in some capacity. And so I reached out, hey, will you pray for me on Monday? Will you pray for me on Tuesday? Just five, ten minutes a day, just focused prayer. And so I assembled a prayer team for our ministry out here, for what God's called us to here in Southern California. And I'm telling you, I have experienced since since that was in place. I have experienced some victories that I was not seeing before. 
and just encouraged by what the Lord is doing. So that's a way get creative in the ways that you get people connected kind of um, with you and encouraging you along because you need that encouragement that comes um, from being unified with the body of Christ. Yeah. And, and of course the, uh, the danger for any group is that there will be bickering, backbiting, gossip, and disunity. Yeah. Even disagreement, which we do see in, in the book of Acts, there are disagreements that that occur at different times. They, um, and sometimes they're handled well and sometimes they're not. I think we did a podcast on, um, dealing with if there's, uh, disunity, how to deal with that. Yeah. I mean, you see it in Acts chapter six, Acts chapter six is when Mm -hmm. basically the, uh, um, there was some, confusion or disunity over the distribution of apparently food for widows. Some oh, widows yes, right. The, the right. Hellenist widows were being neglected. And so there's this this whole thing. This is right after this awesome unity and you know where the building is shaken because they all pray together. Right. And just how quickly it can stuff. fall apart, right? Yeah, I mean, and of <laughs> yeah. course, right after this, um, what people say is communism kind of took place, which was not This was <laughs> yeah. people willfully giving up their goods, by the way, communism is not that, but after this awesome display of unity, nobody considered their stuff to be their own. Right. And then a couple of chapters later, here they are fighting over um, these widows getting neglected. And so, yeah, disunity can creep in. It's, yeah. I mean, it's a human propensity to kind of be selfish and think about ourselves and, and not strive for unity. And so we do need to be intentional about striving for unity. But again, that all comes from us. We need to be in the word of God. God will confront us when we're not walking in love toward our other brothers and sisters that either we're serving with or maybe we're not serving with. Um, God will confront us. Right. God, God will show us in his word and in our time with him that we're not doing what's right. And uh, he'll yeah. correct us. And yeah. so we're unified around the truth of who God is that's found in his word. That's right. And you can't control if others are going to cause division or be gossips or whatever, but you can control yourself. And, and so you've got to, you know, you be, you be as, as much as you can, you be a source of unifying as opposed to divisiveness. Yeah. And that goes a long way towards solving that problem of, of disunity. But another way i think to to be unified as the community is to keep your eyes on the goal keep your eyes on the goal keep your focus where it where it needs to be and in in acts going back again at the beginning of acts but it is because of all these other things that we have gone through this is the result when we do all these things when we are filled with the Holy Spirit in prayer, in community, unified, bold, because we know the scriptural underpinnings that have commanded um, us, us to be bold. And in that verse, it said, but many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. I mean, that's an enormous revival. In yeah. um in because of their boldness and that they had all of these things in place that we talked about, there were five thousand people brought to the Lord through yeah. through their bold message, through their proclamation. So um 
you know, if we keep our eyes on what the goal is and, and we remember all of these things that we've talked about in, in the, in this podcast, it amazing miracles can happen. And we sometimes think the goal is saving babies' lives. And that might be, in a way, it's almost a byproduct, but the, yeah. that's not the overarching goal. The true goal, the you know, the most important goal, yeah, which which the is most to proclaim, goal is to glorify Jesus, and yeah. as you're about to say, proclaim His word, yeah, and then He does the He does the baby saving, right? That's his right. word doesn't return yeah. void, and it goes forth, and babies are saved, souls are saved, and uh, yeah, you know that that is the goal, glorify Jesus. That is, and uh, a, a great kind of closing verse that that I found in Psalm when I did a, a word study of bold was from Psalms um, 138 verse 3. On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. Amen. So again, reiterating what we've said all along, it is it is God ultimately that, that gives us the boldness that we need. We need it. He, yeah. He'll give us what we need. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Well, guys, we hope that this podcast was an encouragement to you. We hope that it encourages you to be bold, to be confident in the Lord, not in the flesh. And so if this was a blessing to you, as we encouraged you at the very beginning, share this podcast episode with other folks. If you have questions or maybe other subjects you'd like for us to cover, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me, Daniel at lovelife.org. You can reach her at Vicky at lovelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. And also, uh, consider leaving us a review. Maybe you're using um, Apple Podcasts or some other podcast service. Leave us a good review, five stars, if you think we deserve it. And uh, that would be a, a tremendous blessing to us. But until next time, God bless. God bless you all. Nothing's too precious since I met you.